All right. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, so last week, um, in the, at the beginning of chapter 17, um, Paul and Silas come to Thessalonica. Paul preaches in a synagogue. Um, it, it says that he persuaded uh, some that Jesus was Messiah, both Jews and Greeks. Um, and then the, the book of Thessalonians was actually written to this church later on in Paul's life, right? Um, so a church starts in Thessalonica. Uh, and it says the Jews there were jealous of Paul, and so they, they stir up this big mob to a riot, and they attack Jason's home, and they're looking for Paul and Silas. They can't find them, so they drag Jason out before the court, and there's this big uh, riot, basically. Uh, there's all this chaos and violence going on at the end of uh, verse 9. It says Jason posts bail. Um, and then here we come to verse 10. Still part of that same crazy chaos going on. Verse 10 starts like this. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So there's all this craziness going on. Jason just got dragged out of his house, and the church, the brothers, it says, a church says to them, says to Paul and Silas, get out of here. Like, you gotta get, you gotta get going. You gotta get out of here. These people are gonna kill you, right? So here's what I want us to see in this first verse, that persecution... Uh, for faithful followers of Jesus is inevitable. It will happen. Um, it's going to happen. Paul says, uh, Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? But here, I want, to, I want us to catch this in verse 10, that it's going to happen, but we don't seek it out. And if possible, we do our best to avoid it, right? The, the brothers send them away. Like, get out of here, right? Um, get to somewhere safer, right? This is Matthew. This is Jesus talking in Matthew 10, 23 to 25. Jesus is talking to the disciples here, and he's, he's training them. He says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns in Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, they persecuted me. They called me Satan. What do you think they're going to call you who's just a follower of me, right? Um, you're my disciple. You're not, you're, not a, you're not above me in this, right? Like no student is greater than the teacher. Um, but he says, it is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, Right? So there's this, this kind of blessing that's wrapped up into that. We'll get, that, get to that in a second. But I want us to see here, he says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. And I think sometimes we have this kind of romanticized idea of persecution that like, yeah, I'm suffering for Jesus. And like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out there and get persecuted or whatever it is. Right? That's not a wisdom in, in, in Jesus' teaching and in the Bible. That's not what they did. We see over and over and over and over throughout the Gospels and throughout the book of Acts that persecution does happen. Jesus promises it here. You will be persecuted for following me. But we don't seek it out. We don't uh, try to get persecuted. And if possible, just use your brain and, and try to avoid it, right? If it's possible to get out of town, get out of town, Paul's, or, uh, Jesus says. Flee to the next, right? If it's not possible, because there will be times in our life where it's not possible to avoid God's, uh, to avoid persecution, we embrace God's work in it, right? Um, this is Matthew 5, 
10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you as others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, he says. Rejoice and be glad. Keep in mind, he's talking about you're going to be reviled, you're going to be persecuted, they're going to say evil things falsely about you, and then Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That, that when you stand for the truth of Jesus, when you share the gospel of Christ, when you're preaching the good news about Jesus, trouble will come. But Jesus says, when it does come, you'll be blessed for it. This is 1 Peter 3, 14 to 15. Uh, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. He's just repeating what Jesus had told them before, right? Have no fear of them. Speaking about the persecutors, Peter says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I want us to pay attention especially to that last little bit. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for your politics. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> Always be, be prepared to give a defense for the reason for the hope that is in you, he says. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, right? This is First Peter, again, uh, one chapter later. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He says, when trouble comes, when persecution comes, don't be surprised by it, like, like, whoa, something strange is happening. No, he says, this isn't strange for the, for the followers. of it's, it's strange for us in America because we, the last 300 years or so, we've been in this really strange moment in history where um, people claiming to be Christians have had the most power in society. Um, and so if you look at all of history and you look around the world currently, present day, we're in this really strange bubble where we don't face a lot of persecution on the daily basis. But if you look at all the history of Christians, and you look at all the Christians around the world right now, that is really unusual. But Peter is saying it's not unusual to be persecuted, because that is what hap is happening to our brothers right now around the world, our brothers and sisters around the world, and it's what, ha what has happened to Christians since the very beginning. Um, so he says, don't be, don't think it's strange, don't uh, think that something strange is happening to you, but rejoice. He's repeating Jesus again here. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter is saying, rejoice and be glad, because just like Jesus was suffering, you are suffering now. And you can see then, be glad, that Jesus' glory is being revealed in you and to you. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What an amazing thing that somebody's insulting you and the Spirit of God rests on you. Like, that just, to me, kind of blows me away. Like, why? Right? But then he says this, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Okay? So, Peter has this whole thing. He's like, don't be surprised when you're persecuted. It's going to happen. 
um, rejoice in it, in fact, because you're becoming more and more like Jesus. And then he says, oh, but don't be, don't be persecuted as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. What's he talking about here? I love, I love that he has these, like, what we think of as, like, giant big categories. Murderer, thief, evildoer, and then he adds in meddler into this, like, <laughs> it's like three really big categories and then also meddler, right? Um, what's the point here? Don't get persecuted, Peter is saying, because you do something wrong or because you're a jerk, basically. That's what he's saying here. Um, earlier in First in Peter in chapter 2, he said, put away slander, malice, deceit. Put all that away. That's not fit for you as God's people. Here he's saying, don't be persecuted as a meddler. Don't be getting into people's business and, and you know, causing strife or dissension, right? If you are going to be mistreated, Peter says, let it be because Jesus and the gospel, not because of your sinfulness or your, your disobedience to Christ. So when, we, when we're persecuted, don't let it be because, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to slam you and teach you how it's done or whatever, right? Let it be because of our gentleness and our respect and our devotion to the gospel, right? Let that be the reason that we're persecuted. Okay, so we don't seek it out. We avoid it if possible. We also don't let it derail us from the mission, right? What happens at the end of verse 10? So he's just, he's literally just fled for his life from Thessalonica. He's come to Berea. He's, he, uh, it says they arrive, they come by night to Berea. And it says, when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So he just ran for his life because people are going to try to kill him because he's preaching the gospel about Jesus. He comes to a new town and he goes to preach the gospel about Jesus in this new town. Um, this, is, this isn't un unique in this story. This is Paul's continuous pattern over and over throughout Acts. They run him out of a town, and when he gets to the next town, he's like, all right, let's get to it. Let's get busy. Um, he doesn't let rough circumstances. He doesn't let threats. He doesn't let um, actual violence. Several times he's beaten. Several, twice he's stoned. They, they leave him for dead. They, they beat him so badly. They threw stones until he was like, they thought he was dead and left him, right? Um, and he gets up, and he goes to the next town, and he keeps going, right? He doesn't let this violence or the threat of violence deter him or derail him from the mission that God's given. This is 1 Thessalonians 2.2, Paul talking about his own experience. But though we had already suffered, he's, this is, he, keep in mind, he's writing this to the church that he just ran away from that town because they were threatening his life, right? So years later, he's writing this letter to that church, and he says this, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. This is what he's talking about. I had to, I had to flee from your town for my life. But when we came, and, and in Philippi, right before that, they were, they were beating us over there too. So when we came to Thessalonica, we didn't let that stop us from preaching the gospel to you. And that's why you believed, because we were faithful to preach, right? Uh, in the midst of much conflict, he says. And then he runs away to Berea in the night. The brothers send him away in the, in the night. So here's, here's what's for us. Don't let fear of danger or fear of slander or fear of people rejecting you or fear of whatever, whatever, whatever law. Don't let those fears prevent you from doing the work God has for you. 
God has put you where you are in your, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your job, um, whatever it is, wherever he's put you, in your family even, uh, because you have a mission there. You have a mission for the gospel in all of those different places where you are planted. So don't let fear of what people may think or may do or may say derail you from that mission that God has, has put you there for. Um, you may be worried about what people might think. This is something that I really struggle with, that I, I'm, I'm always worried, like, what are people going to think um, if I say the wrong thing or if I, you know, I don't want to offend somebody, make them mad, right, whatever. Um, my friend Paul says, awkward conversations change people's lives. So, like, a bunch of you guys in here are in a relationship or married, and, like, if you think back to that moment when that first, you know, one person asked the other person um, to date them, right, that conversation is always awkward. Am I right? <laughs> it's always awkward. Um, but some of you are married now, right? So that weird and awkward conversation changed the course of your life, right? So my friend Paul, he's like, hey, is it going to be awkward when you share about Jesus? A lot of the times, yes, it's going to be weird and awkward. But awkward conversations change people's lives. And glory to God that that's true, right? Um, that this this amazing fruit and glory comes out of this <laughs> awkwardness, right? Um, king of awkward, right here. There is so much promised to us from the Bible uh, when we share with our friends and family, when we share with our community about the hope that we have in Jesus. This is Philemon 6. Paul is writing to this guy, Philemon, um, and he basically is writing this letter on behalf of this other guy who is a, a slave that ran away, and then he came to Christ, and he's sending him back to Philemon. So he writes this long letter, like, hey, don't, don't be mad at this guy. He's a Christian now. Um, but in this, in this letter, he writes to Philemon. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So Paul is saying, I'm praying for you, that you, as you're sharing your faith, you become aware of all the blessing and the joy and the hope that is in us for the sake of Christ. That as we share our, our faith with those around us, God works that in our own heart to become aware of the blessing, the, the every good thing, Paul says, that is in us for the sake of Christ. There, th that is so true. Like every time I, I bust through that awkwardness and I... I um, just go for it and share the gospel. I'm always walking away from those conversations like, man, the gospel is true. It is true. My life has changed because of this message, right? Um, and that's what Paul's talking about. Share your faith. As you share it, you'll realize all the good things that are in us for Christ, right? So all this joy, all this hope, all these promises that God makes to us in the gospel— so, okay, so we don't seek out persecution, but we don't let it stop us either. Um, and we can't let us stop it, because look, look at what happens next, okay? So let's read verse 11. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures to see if these things were so. When he gets to Berea, and he preaches the gospel there, he didn't let the persecution stop him, so he preaches the gospel to the Bereans, and he finds, it says, noble hearers. These, these Jews were noble when they were listening to him. Um, why? Why were they noble? Um, Luke tells us. It's because 
they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if they were so. This is what made these people noble, right? If you look back, we'll get more into this in just a little bit, but you look back at the other group and it says they were jealous of Paul. This group is noble because they received the word of God with eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if this were so. This is, this is uh, Proverbs 9, 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. That's the Bereans. That these men were, these men and women, were wise, and they, they heard the word of God, and they became wiser. They listened, right? This is Matthew eleven fifteen. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says this five or six times in the gospel, depending on one of the verses, um, and then seven more times in Revelation. So he says, he who has ears, let him hear, right? That, that some people, like, stop up their ears. They don't want to hear. Don't, I'm going to beat you up. Stop talking to us, right? But some people, they have ears, and they use them to listen. I want to hear what this is. I want to hear what, what Jesus has to say. Um, in Luke 8, Jesus gives this parable about a sower who goes out throwing seeds, and he says, some falls on the path, and the birds came and snatched it up. And the disciples are like, what does that mean? It's like, that's when we're, we're sharing the gospel is like sowing seeds. We're throwing these seeds out. And some of the seeds land in good places, and they bear fruit, and some of it land along the path, and Satan comes and snatches it away. Their, their hearts were hard to receive the message. They didn't want to hear it. And so Satan came and snatched it away from them, right? Or this is James 1 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive, he says, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Um, Proverbs again, Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That is what the Bereans did. They were seeking it out like silver. They were searching for it. We got to find the truth of God in this. They were searching the scriptures to find this understanding. They were finding these hidden treasures of God. Um, they didn't just take it because somebody told them. This guy came, this guy Paul came to town. He could have been like, hey, here's what the Bible says, or here's what God says, listen to it. And they'd be like, oh, cool, great, sounds good, let's do it. No, um, they, they examined the scriptures, it says, to see if this was so. So Paul, Paul comes with this message, and he's like, this is, what, this is what this means in the Old Testament. When the prophet said this, they were talking about Jesus. And they're like, okay, let's think about that. Let's look at it. Let's examine it. Let's test it. Let's see if it's true. And they found out it is true. It's right. Paul's right. Um, in verse 2, this is interesting. In verse 2, back in Thessalonica, it says, he reasoned, Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, right? From the scriptures. Paul's not just coming in and like making up stuff off the top of his head. He's, he's teaching in both places, both cities, from the scriptures. And the Bereans are checking it out. They're searching, okay, he says the Bible says this, let's check it out, let's see if that's true. This is the, the heart, the attitude that we should have always, eager to receive God's word and, and, and diligent and passionate, devoted to seeing what does the Bible say? Is this person 
truthful about what he's saying about the Bible or she's saying about the Bible um, or not, right? We, we should imitate the Bereans in, the, in their dedication um, to uh, understanding God's word. <laughs> I was looking at the blanks. I was like, what was, my <laughs> what was my blank there? We should imitate the Bereans in their dedication to understanding God's word, right? They are mining for gold. They are mining for precious treasure, um, Proverbs tells us. Uh, this is 1 John uh, 4.1. So John is writing to all, belie- all believers everywhere. And he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Already at this point in history, John is still alive, which means this is like maybe 35 years from the time of Christ. And he says, already, he says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many people are out there saying the wrong thing about Jesus. So, so don't believe everything you hear. Test it. See if it's true. See if it's from God or not. Galatians, Paul writes to the Galatians. Galatians 1, verse 8, Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul saying, hey, we, we're not excluded. If I come back to you and I'm saying something different, you got to correct me. You gotta, you gotta get rid of that garbage, right? Doesn't matter who's saying it. If it's, if it's an angel that came down from heaven, there's a church right now, there's one, de- one, I'm not gonna say denomination, there's one religion right now that that's the whole basis of their religion. This angel came from heaven and revealed himself to a, a dude in Missouri and said, hey, here's this new gospel. And Paul's saying, no, let that angel be accursed. There is no new gospel. It's the same gospel. It's Jesus's gospel right? So, uh, and, and he, he doesn't leave himself out. He says, us too, if we come back. Th- this happens too. Sometimes people live a whole life of fruitful ministry, and then some point along the way, they get turned around somewhere, and they start teaching something different. So even people that you've, you've trusted and known for a long time, always be checking, are they still, are they st- is, this, is this what God says, or are they going off the rails somewhere? Um, a, a continuous devotion, a, a wholehearted eagerness, it says, the Bereans devoted themselves to God's word. Um, this isn't like a, I'm watching you, I'm watching every word, I'm going to check it. Oh, that was the wrong word. I'm writing it down. No. no, this is an eagerness, a joyfulness, right? This isn't about like checking other people or like, ah, I got you, you tripped up. This is about, I'm eager to discover God's word, and I'm not going to let anything get in the way of the truth of God's word. So I'm going to search it out eagerly with joy, right? So how do we do that, right? So here's, here's the Bereans giving us this example to follow, and, and I'm saying we should imitate them. So how do we do that? How do we do it? Um, first is God's word will help us. Um, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That God gave us the Bible, and he gave it so that we will be complete and equipped, ready for every good work that God has for us. This is so important. That God gave us this beautiful treasure in the Bible, right? 
We need to use it. We need to know it. We need to love it. We need to be devoted to it. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which, that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is saying, my word's not going to fail. It's going to accomplish the purpose that I sent it out for. It will succeed. It will happen. God's word will help us. Uh, God's spirit will help us. This is 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Through the knowledge of Jesus, God has granted to us all things. Not like some things, not a few things, not a lot of things, not 90% of what, what you'll need. All things that we need for life and godliness. By which, he says, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The Spirit of God, by the, by the knowledge of Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells within us, grants to us his very great and precious promises, and we become partakers in that divine, divine nature. The Spirit of God will lead us into all truth. This is John 16, 13 to 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is saying this, the, the Holy Spirit will come, and he will lead you into all truth. So the Spirit of God will help us to understand God's word. Um, and finally, the people of God, God's people, will help us. Uh, we see that in just a few chapters ago in Acts 15. There was a dispute in the church. Like, okay, some people are saying this. Some people are saying this. Some people are saying they got to become Jews first. Some people are saying, no, they don't need to become Jews. They just believe in Jesus as Gentiles. So what do we do? So there's a discussion, and the, the church comes together. The leaders of the church come together, and they talk about it, and they realize this is God's truth. This is, we see this in the scripture, this is God's truth. We, we've talked it out together, we realize this is God's wisdom for us in this, right? Um, so that's Acts 15, Romans 1, 11, and 12. This is Paul talking to Rome, the church in Rome. He hasn't been there yet, um, but he's writing to them, and he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, which we expect. Paul is an apostle, um, he's got a lot of knowledge, he's going to go to Rome, he says, I'm going to impart to you, I'm going to I'm going to speak to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He says, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul's saying, I'm going to go to you, and I want to teach you, I want to help you, I want to grow you, I want to encourage you, and also, I'll be grown and taught and encouraged by you too. Uh, that he humbles himself and submits even to this church that he's never met before because he knows in God's people, I'll grow in my understanding as well. This is 2 Timothy 1.5. He's writing to one of his disciples, and he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy got his faith from his grandmother and his mother, this family uh, discipleship, right? Persevere, parents. Persevere in discipling your kids. God's people, again, at work in God's church.
And this is 1 Corinthians 12, 19 and 20, and then skipping a little bit to 27 and 28. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So Paul's saying, 19 and 20, he's saying, if you're just a one part of a body, what good is that? You're just a ear laying on the ground or, you know, an eyeball, whatever, right? What good is that? But he says, as, as it is, there's many parts in the body. And in 27 and 28, he goes on, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administering in various kinds of tongues. He's saying, God has given to all of you the gift and the responsibility and the privilege of being a part of this body. It's not some people are up here on stage uh, doing the work, and some people are like out in the congregation um, just receiving the work. That's not how the church works. That's not how it, it should never work that way. It's all of us together are doing the work of God together. Uh, some of us are teachers. Some of us are uh, prophets. Some of us do miracles. Some of us are healing. Some of us are helping. Some of us are administering. Some of us are doing whatever, right? We all have gifts that God has given to us, and we all need each other um, to help us understand God's wisdom, to help us be devoted to the scripture, right? Okay, jumping back into Acts 17, verse 12. Where am I here? Here we go. So there's these noble people who've devoted themselves to God's word, um, seeking God's wisdom, right? And verse 12, it says, Many of them therefore learned that the word of God was proclaimed by... Uh, sorry, I'm in the... <laughs> Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So who are these noble people that... Uh, that received God's word with eagerness. Well, Jews and Greeks, right? The, in verse 11, he says, the Jews there in Berea were more noble. And then in verse 12, he said, therefore, many of them believed with Greek women and men. So Jews and Greeks are both here. And, and you're totally right. I love that he says, women and men. This message is for everybody. This nobility isn't a nobility based on, like these, these uh, Greeks here that it's talking about, they probably were influential business people or maybe politicians or something in the town. Um, but that's not the point. That's not why Luke calls them noble. He calls them noble because they were listening to the word of God. They were hearing it, right? Um, but this message, this nobility of heart is for everyone, right? This is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. There's no first class and second class citizens in God's kingdom. There's no, some people are like leaders and, and, and whatever, and, and then I just attend. That's not how it works. All of us, there's one body of Christ. This is Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So if you believed in Christ, you are in Christ, Paul says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Your, your primary identity is no longer, uh, I am 
you know, Japanese, or I am local, or I am a businessman, or I am a scholar, or I am whatever. Your primary identity now is Jesus. I am in Jesus. That's what is most important. There's no longer, he says, Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. You're all in Christ. Um, this is Romans 3, 29 and 30. I love this. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Praise God that he is the God of Gentiles also. Because none of us in here are Jewish. Or at least I don't think so, right? None of, <laughs> none of us are Jewish. And yet we're here in Christ. Because God is the God of Gentiles also. Yes, he says, yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. It doesn't matter. It's by faith in Christ that you're, that you're justified. This is Romans 10, a little bit later in Romans 12 through 13. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. These people are noble, not because they were rich, not because they were Jewish, not because they were men, but because they listened to the Lord. They called on him. They asked for his help, and he gave it, right? This is Ephesians 3, 6. This is a mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers in the promise of in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's us, that we, God... Romans says he grafted us in to this olive tree. We were a wild olive shoot out in the wilderness, and God came and grafted us into his garden, right? That's, that's a miracle. That's beautiful. Okay, let's, let's press on. I'm running out of time. <laughs> 13 to 15. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving the command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Um, discipleship is vital to continue the mission, and it is the mission. That is the mission. So discipleship is both vital, necessary, essential, to accomplishing the mission that we're doing. And it's also the very mission that we're doing. It's this cool, like, you're doing discipleship because that's the mission, but also discipleship is necessary to do the mission that we're doing, right? Um, in verse 13, Paul says, uh, sorry, in verse 5, in verse 5 says that the Jews were jealous of Paul's message, and so they stirred up, it says, the rabble, These, the the riffraff, the, you know, gutter people. He stirred up the rabble. The, these jealous Jews stirred up the rabble. And then Luke, sorry, not Paul. I keep saying Paul. Luke, um, so he, he uses these two specific words, jealous and rabble. And then in this section, the next section, he says these were noble Jews and people of high standing. He directly compares the two words that he used to describe the previous crowd with this new crowd, with these two completely opposite words. He says, jealous, rabble, noble, high-standing people, right? 
be like the Bereans. Be noble. Be this people of high standing. Uh, don't be a jealous rabble, but instead be this noble, high-standing people. Okay, here's, here's a warning, though. When you hear, like, my previous point was we should imitate the Bereans in their, in their dedication and their devotion to God's word. Um, there is a danger. Almost immediately when I, when I wrote that point, I started thinking, yeah, I could do that. Totally, yeah. I, I can work hard. I can study hard. I can um, do whatever. Like, yeah, I'll get this done. Nah. <laughs> That's not it, right? The, the other danger in this for me, and maybe for you too, was that you start looking around and saying, mm, he's a rabble. Mm, she's a rabble. Yeah, yeah. Not like, I'm noble. They're rabble. Um, that's dangerous too, right? This is not, this, that's not the point here, right? Both of those fall immediately into the same camp as the jealous Jews in, in Thessalonica, right? The only reason to be thinking about my own strength, my own purpose, is to glorify me. And the only reason I'd be looking at other people to see where they're failing is, again, to glorify me, right? It is the work of God in our life, not our merits. It's not like some of us work hard to be noble and some of us choose to be rabble. We are all rabble. We are all rabble. It is the work of God. Romans 5 says we were enemies of God. We were God's enemies. It's not like we were like, kind of like, you know, mm, I'm okay. I'm not a terrible person. No, the Bible says you were an enemy of God. I was God's enemy, it says. And the glory is that Jesus came to rescue us from ourselves, right? We need him to give us this noble heart that the Bereans had. We need him. We need Jesus. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 26. I really love this because Paul does not hold back. He says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. You were poor. You were kind of dumb, to be honest. And you pretty much had no power going on, right? Jump ahead to verse 28. God chose what is lowly and despised Okay, keep in mind he's describing the Corinthians here, right? Okay? God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even the things that are not. You were not. Okay? You were not, Paul says to the Corinthians and to me. He chose the things that are lowly and despised and, and things that were not to bring to nothing the things that are. He chose the, the not to bring to nothing the is, right? Whoever the is is, whatever they be, he said, I'm choosing the not so that you be nothing, <laughs> right? So that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. You weren't wise, but in Christ, you became wisdom. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption so that at, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That a noble heart, this, this heart that the Bereans had said, I'm not, but Jesus, Jesus, yeah, he is. He's the wisdom, he's the righteousness, he's the sanctification, he's the redemption. And if I'm going to boast, it's going to be in Jesus only, 
right? The noble heart looks at, looks at itself and says, wow, there is nothing but rabble there except because of Jesus. And now, because of Jesus, there's nobility. There's understanding. There's righteousness. There's sanctification. There's redemption there. That's what, that's what this is about. The heart that looks away from self and to Jesus and says, I want that. That's what I want as I'm studying God's word. Not to puff myself up, but to know him better, right? Verse 14, it says, the brothers sent Paul away, um, but Silas and, Silas and Timothy stayed. So here's the point, that, that this mission is about discipleship, right? Um, here, and this, notice it says this, the exact same thing in verse 10. The brothers, meaning the church, not just, not just the men, but the church sent Paul away to Berea. And here again, in verse 14, it says, the brothers, meaning the church, the church sent Paul away to Athens, right? So the church is looking around at the situation and said, this is dangerous. You got to go, Paul. You need to, you, you need to get out of town. Um, we are in this community together, and all of us are submitting to each other in Christ under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Um, even, even Paul and Barnabas, when they were first sent from Antioch, way back in chapter 13, that seems like months ago. It was months ago, literally months ago. Way back in, in chapter 13, it says the brothers set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work. And I, I really love that because we have this like modern idea in the American church that like I'm going to get a calling from God and it's going to be something like some kind of like, you know, mystical thing that I'm like praying and like I know now that I'm supposed to do this thing. And God does do that sometimes. He does do that. But the Bible, but the Bible doesn't say that's not always how it happens. In fact, in this case with Paul and Barnabas, it says the church decided, you know what? The Holy Spirit is speaking to us, Paul and Barnabas, and you guys are supposed to go on this journey. Let's get to it, right? And I love that. And here again, the church in Thessalonica and the church in Berea is saying, like, you got to get out of here. It's time for you to get out. You got to go. Um, it's too dangerous. You need to leave. And he submits to them. I love that. He's an apostle. He's, write, he's written more than half the New Testament. Well, not at this point, but he will write more than half the New Testament. And he says, you know what? I'm going to submit to your guys' wisdom. I'm going to get out of here. But the Berean Christians are new. They're new to the faith, right? They're not ready to stand on their own yet. So Silas and Timothy stay with them to teach them, to train them, to disciple them. Uh, this is the goal that, okay, Paul is traveling around with Silas and Timothy, these two guys, and it comes about that the city is getting crazy, and the church is like, Paul, you got to get out of here. And Paul knows, he trusts Silas and Timothy enough. If I leave you, if I, if I get out, and I never come back to this town, but I leave you two guys here, I know that the church will be okay. Like, what a, what a glorious goal to shoot for. To be, he's trained these guys, and he's confident in the work that they're going to do. That's discipleship. That is discipleship. Hey, you stay, because I know you're going to do it as good or better than me, and I'm going to go to the next town. And they stay, and they do the work there in Berea. And Paul heads to Athens. Like, that is the, that is the point. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus says, go and make disciples. We emphasize the go a lot, but the verb in Greek is make disciples. 
as you are going, Jesus says, make disciples. That's the mission. Make disciples. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily to go and make a bunch of converts. He says, make disciples and teach them to obey, right? That's the point, that we don't want to just, like, get people to believe some, some statements about Jesus. We want them to devote their life to Jesus and to follow him faithfully. That's the discipleship, right? That's what Paul did with Silas and Timothy. That's what Silas and Timothy are doing with the Bereans. We're going to stay with you, and we're going to train you. And then in verse 15, he goes to Athens, and he's, he, the guys who come, he, he says, hey, when you get back, tell Silas and Timothy to come as soon as possible. He doesn't say, tell them to come right now. He says, as soon as possible. He trusts them. When you, when you know when it's good, as soon as it is possible to come, come on down. Uh, because he knows he ne- it, the work of God, the mission of God is not a solo work. This is not, this is not, there's no Lone Ranger Christians in the world. This is a group effort that we're doing together. We need each other. We rely on each other. And Paul knows that. So he's like, hey, as soon as you're ready, as soon as the church is ready, as soon as it's possible, come and meet me in Athens, and we'll keep going. Um, so are there no Christians in your workplace? Because that can be kind of daunting. That can be kind of intimidating. Like, I'm the only Christian in my workplace, and like, you know, the, the, the mission is not a solo work. So what, what, can I, what can you do if you're like, I'm the only Christian in my family. How am I going to reach my family? Well, we're a church together, right? Come, come on Sunday night and be like, there are these people in my workplace, and I love them, and I want to share with them about Jesus gently and respectfully. Let's pray for them together. Can you pray for me during the week as I'm, as I'm doing my, my job in the office? Can you pray for me? so that I'll be courageous to share. And in that moment, you aren't alone in that workplace. Because, you know, we're in this together. We're working together on it, right? There is no solo work. You may be alone in that moment. You're not alone. We're with you. We're praying for you. But the only way that happens is if we know we, we need to pray for you, right? We've got to be in it together. Um, in your... And, your workplace, your, your family, wherever it is that God has placed you, in all those places that God has placed you. Um, we need each other. We need to be praying for each other and encouraging each other. Okay, so here's the challenge. Maybe you're feeling scared or timid about sharing the gospel um, with others. Uh, maybe that's kind of daunting. You don't know how to do that, or like it, it's kind of scary, frankly, because you don't know what people are going to say or think. Um, this may sound strange, but this is, is oddly encouraging to me that Paul says everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When I first read that um, in high school, as right after I started following Jesus, and one of my um, mentors pointed that out to me, I was like, oh, actually that's like really encouraging because I don't have to worry about it. Like, it's going to happen. So why, like, why worry about it? I don't need to worry about it because it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And that was like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I found that like really reassuring. Like, okay, well, I don't need to worry about it because it's going to happen anyway. Um, and, the, and take courage because Jesus says that when you face trouble, you're becoming more like him, right? Um, so is it scary? Sometimes it's scary. Is it awkward? A lot of times it's awkward. But in those moments, 
God has joy for you and hope for you and for that person. What if you share with this person and it turns out to be a Berean that you're sharing with and they receive the word of God with eagerness, right? How, how, how much joy is waiting for you in the harvest that's right around you? And Jesus says, pray for workers to get into the field. The harvest is ripe, he says. The problem's not with the harvest. The problem is there's not enough workers. Pray for God to send workers, right? Swing the sickle and teach them to harvest too, right? Not killing people. We're talking about, <laughs> talking about people coming to Christ and then joining you in the work. Swing the sickle. <laughs> it was a good metaphor in my head. <laughs> okay, here's a second challenge. <laughs> I'm just going to move on. Here's the second challenge. Maybe you are the type that is, this is a little bit me too. I'm both, I'm both this category of like being a little bit fearful and also on the other side of things where you're ready to throw down and get some Bible slams in on people. I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm both of those, but I'm kind of both of them. Maybe that's you. You're ready to like own somebody. You're ready to, you know, get your points in and prove that you're right, that you got it. You're smarter than them, whatever. That's not helpful. Peter says, be gentle, be, respe be respectful. In your Facebook comments, be gentle and respectful, right? Um, realize that, I'm speaking to myself too here, realize that getting into trouble because you can't shut your mouth is not glorifying to Jesus, right? But what is glorifying to Jesus is that you're, you can't shut your mouth talking about Jesus, right? Like if I'm talking about, you know, whatever my opinions are, and I get into trouble because of it, that doesn't glorify Jesus. If I'm, if I'm showing somebody the truth of God, his word, the hope I have in Jesus, and I get in trouble for it, that's glorifying to Jesus, because it, it's worth it to me to suffer for this Jesus that I love, right? That honors Jesus. So I'm willing to sacrifice whatever so that Jesus gets honored. Whatever, whatever degree you're willing to sacrifice for that, that's more glory that Jesus gets, because I'm willing to go even that far to sacrifice even my career because Jesus is worth it. That's glorifying to Jesus, right? Uh, here's my third challenge. Maybe you are here tonight and you haven't accepted Jesus yet. You haven't started following him yet. Um, find out about it. The Bereans, they searched the scriptures to find out if it was true. Ask somebody here tonight. You're like, what, what's your story? How has Jesus worked in your life? Is this real? Is this really true that, that Jesus changes people's lives? Find out about it, and you will see that it is true. They searched the scriptures, and they, they saw that it was so, it says. It, it was true. So if you're here tonight, and you're like, I'm not sure about Jesus, ask somebody. Investigate it. Find it out. Ask Jesus whether he's real or not, and he will, he will reveal himself to you. He will do it. If you're here tonight and you're hearing that and you are a believer and somebody comes up to you tonight and it's like, is Jesus real? You better be like, dude, look at my life. And if you can't say, look at my life, maybe some things need to change there. But in that, there's an opportunity to say, let's look at the Bible and see what the Bible says about it, right? Okay, I'm, I'm going too long. I'm going to wrap it up here. Here's my last challenge. <laughs> maybe God is calling you to get discipled because that's what the point of this whole mission is, right? Maybe you're like, I don't know how to share the gospel. There's a lot of people in this room who can teach you how to do that and to, 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 to do it effectively, gently, and respectfully. Um, or maybe you're like, I know how to do that. So teach somebody else how to do it. 
right? Get to discipling someone. If you're not ready to disciple someone yet, then get discipled so you can get ready to disciple somebody else. Learn from somebody further down the road and, and jump in on this mission. That's the whole point. Get, get, get trained so that you can train others to love and follow Jesus joyfully with your whole heart. That is, this isn't a begrudging, you know, got to get to, got to get to work and put in my hours for Jesus. That's not this kind of, that's not this kind of work. This, this work is a joyful, eager work that as we do the work, wow, this is better than anything else. This is a blessing. This is a true joy that I'm experiencing. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field, and he went and he sold everything he had to buy that field. That's what it's like to follow Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to sell whatever to buy that field. That's the treasure. Jesus is the treasure that I'm seeking. Okay, that's it. I'm done. (laughs) So let's get in it, guys. Let's get to it. Let's love God's word. Let's be devoted to God's work and his mission, his word, um, by his own wisdom. He will lead us, and his word will be successful. Let's love it. Let's cherish it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It teaches us. It grows us. It, it inspires us. It changes us. Paul says from one degree of glory to the next, we're being transformed. As we look at you, and we see you in your word. You've left us this beautiful book to change our lives. Help us to get into it. Help us to love it. Help us to be devoted to it. Help us to scrub off the calluses on our hearts, and be tender-hearted toward your truth. Lord, we ask today that you would make us into noble people. We need you to do that. The more that we try to do it ourselves, the more prideful we become, and the more we become like jealous rabble. We need you, Jesus. We need you to work in us to become noble people of high standing that love your word, that cherish your work, and jump in and do it by your own wisdom. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. May you be noble in Christ. Amen.